0: Bibles turn with me to Luke chapter 10 today. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for the hope that we have in you because we know that you always win. Help us now, Lord, in these um, trying times to keep our eyes fixed on you and to be confident in your victory. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 10. I learned recently about the volcano Krakatoa. If you are an expert on Krakatoa, please write to me. Um, in 1883, Krakatoa exploded. I understand that it was the greatest volcanic explosion in history, equaling something like 10,000 atomic bombs. It affected the globe. It was felt all over. Even in the United States, I guess, the the skies turned so red that there were... Um, uh, fire trucks that were called out because people were sure there had to be a fire somewhere to put out. It was an amazing event. Even though uh, a, a three-fourths of the island disappeared. Before the explosion, Krakatoa was actually three volcanoes. <laughs> and when the explosion, after the explosion, two of the volcanoes basically sunk into the sea and one volcano um, remained. Even though Krakatoa itself was essentially uninhabited, other People that might go hunting on it or something like that, I guess. 36,000 lives were lost. um, Mostly because of the tsunami that was created as a result of the volcanic activity. um, And on the other islands there in um, the Indonesia uh, island chain, people losing their lives. It was an amazing thing. I think something like seven months afterward... A group of explorers from um, uh, a Dutch uh, engineer actually led this exploration. They, they, they went to the island and discovered the place was completely devastated. Although before it had been filled with um, exotic trees and animals and insects and birds. Everything was destroyed. No trees. No animals, no insects. If you can th- imagine what the world was like when Genesis 1, 1 says that the world was formless and void, uh, it's a pretty good picture, they said, of what you experienced there in Krakatoa after the explosion. Several years later, I think like three years later, um, the, uh, some explorers returned. And this time when they returned, they were um, really impressed by the new growth that had begun. You see, between the birds and the wind, seeds had been scattered on the island in the ensuing years. And seeds gave birth to new plants, and new plants gave birth to more... Fruit and more fruit gave uh, to reproducing of the plants and the trees, and uh, animals returned and life returned. And what they realized was that Krakatoa's explosion was not the end of the island; it was actually a trans uh, a transition into a new beginning. Um, one author described uh, Krakatoa, the experience at that point, saying, um, destruction had paradoxically led to a rebirth of life. Today, the island is a repository of an ecosystem of thousands of plants and dense forests. It is a home to hundreds of animal species. What looked like destruction was the phase before germination. The devastation created a blank page on which a new story could be written. Um, What it's what I've asked Zachary to put this in the corner, but um, see, what we have is the old era, and then Krakatoa was the transition into a new era it wasn't the just the end it was a transition into the new but those years of formless and void are what some would call the gray zone the gray zone is when things are chaotic they're confusing it's that period between the old era and the new era it's not the new era you're not quite sure what the new era is going to look like after Krakato- Krakatoa has exploded, but it's not the end. It's a transition for a new birth. Think about that as you read the Gospels. As you read the Gospels, there's a sense in which what we're reading is life in the gray zone. It's the ending, the beginning of the ending of an old era. You know, the Gospels is not technically New Testament time. Jesus has come, yes. Uh, in a sense, the, the, the God has exploded onto the scene. But he has not died on the cross. He has not resurrected. The church has not started. The Holy Spirit has not come to empower us. We are not yet into a new era. The Roman government is still in control. The law is still being followed is still the 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 the, the temple worship is still being conducted Uh, um, synagogue worship is still being followed the new uh, the old era though is passing jesus has come the new era has not yet begun it's a gray zone where things are confusing uncertain sometimes chaotic if you think about that, that's kind of where we are right now in our generation. For hundreds of years, we've lived in an era where Christianity has enjoyed predominance. I mean, you could take it all the way back to the beginning of Christendom, where um, although everybody wasn't acting like Christian Christians, at least the Bible was assumed to be true. At least biblical right and wrong was assumed to be the measure of right and wrong, at least I mean, where God was assumed to be God, and then you had the Enlightenment, certainly that came in that began this new, uh, the ending, the be- kind of the beginning of the end, the beginning of this gray zone. But now, in these last few years, we are seeing ourselves in uh, in in a very clear gray zone, where now we are in a we are in a post-Christian world. A post-Christian West. No longer is the Bible believed. In fact, the Bible is often rejected. No longer are biblical morale, morals assumed to be true. Biblical morals are now assumed by many to be wrong and hateful. And, you know, you're bigoted if you believe those things. But we need to be careful. We're not living in a new zone. We're not living in a new era. This is the gray zone where things are confusing and chaotic. And it's not the end. We look throughout history and we see often God has taken his people through gray zones because he's wanting to give a new birth. Think about that with the church. I remember growing up as a kid in the 70s, thinking, you know, Christianity in America is kind of weak we don't grow like we see in the New Testament times. I don't see Christians being bold like they were, like they are in other places. I remember hearing back in the 70s and 80s how Christians in Russia, persecuted Christians in Russia, would pray for Christians in America to be persecuted so we could be stronger. You know, I remember thinking, yeah, Christians in America, we do have it kind of soft because, uh, you know, everybody believes what we believe and we don't get persecuted like they have, Christians have in so many places throughout the years. Well, welcome to the gray zone where God is moving us into a new era and he is up to something in the church. He is up to something in his people. The question is, how do you live in the gray zone? Since the Gospels essentially answer that question, it's good to go to the Gospels and to see what Jesus teaches us. Jesus comes to earth in the gray zone, transitioning between law and and grace, between the Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church, between the power of Rome and the influence of the gospel. So in Luke chapter 10, I think we see some great examples of lessons of how do you live when you're in the gray zone. Now to understand Luke 10, we have to understand Luke 11, I'm sorry, Luke 9, Jesus has sent out the 12 with similar instructions. He sent out the 12 to go share the gospel, go share the kingdom with people. Now they've come back. It's a chapter later and he's not sending out 12, but he's sending out 70 or 72. Now I'm not a math genius, but I believe that 72 divided by 12 is six. So some will look at this and say the 12 went out. Each uh, discipled six came back. Now they have 72 to be able to send out whatever the case um, now they are send, Jesus is sending out the 72 again into the gray zone. What are the lessons that we learn? I'm going to hit several of them just real quickly. How do, you, how do we respond when living in the gray zone? The Lord appointed these and sent them out in pairs. Verse 1 says, to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The first thing is, in the gray zone, the harvest is still plentiful. It is not a time of spiritual death. There are people who are still open. Be confident. Go out. Don't buy, be by yourself. I love that. A lot of people like to point out he sent them out in pairs. You need a tribe. You need others to walk with you. But the harvest is plentiful. Never forget that. But be realistic. Verse, verse um, three. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I love how realistic the Bible is. On the one hand, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, and it's going to be dangerous. The harvest is plentiful. There are people who are ready to come to Christ, ready for the gospel, and there are people who aren't. There are people who are going to attack you. That's the book of Acts. The book of Acts, you see, people responding. The church goes from adding to multiplying to growing throughout the world, and they're persecuted constantly. They're thrown into jail constantly. I love God doesn't say be unrealistic. He does say the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, but don't focus on the fact that they're that you're lambs among wolves. But realize you are lambs among wolves. But keep your eyes on the folk on the harvest, and then he says, trust my provision, verse four. Carry no belt, no bag, no shoes. And greet no one on the way. In other words, when you go out, you're going to have to trust me, not yourself. You're going to have to trust me, not what you see. When you share Christ, you can't go out because you're prepared well enough. You can't wait until you have everything you need perfectly in place to be able to go share. him. You just have to go trusting he's going to provide for you. If you know Jesus Christ... If he has come into your life, if he is your savior, you have enough right now to go share the kingdom. But you have to go without a bag. You have to go without a shoe, without extra shoes. You just have to go, okay? He goes on then to say, look for people of peace. Whenever you enter a house, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it'll return to you. The person of peace principle is so important. There are people of peace out there who are ready. They're ready to listen. And then they're ready to go influence others. It's like the wound at the well. Jesus shares with her and immediately she goes shares with others. Don't just look for people who are open. Yeah, look for people who are open, but there are some people that if you lead them to Christ, they're people of peace who will lead 10 other people to Christ. Look for people of peace. Be strategic in this as well. There are people of peace out there Okay, but not everybody's going to be open. If they are not open, move on. Verse 7, stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the labor is worthy of his wages. Uh, do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city that you enter there and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Um, this is huge because basically Jesus says you keep focused on the mission. You know, maybe they're going to stay in some places of people who don't serve kosher food. She says, don't worry about the kosher food right now. You just eat what's set before you. You be uh, thankful for that. You know, if this is a guy that's not a big deal, yeah, eat, eat whatever's before you. You're going to be hungry, just whatever. Um, uh, I know missionaries who actually apply this quite literally. They have, you know, some weird thing put in front of them in Nepal. But then they're like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and eat it. Um, but, but... Um, you know, But go along the way and you keep your focus on the important things, not on the unimportant things like what are you going to eat? God's going to provide for you. Bless those people when you stay in their houses. And whenever a, when, whatever city you enter and you receive, eat what's set before you and heal those who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So heal people, help people, let them know. But don't just help them, you let them know. The kingdom of God is near you. This is about the kingdom. You're preaching. You're not just doing good things. Okay. But whatever city you enter, verse 12, verse 10, and they do not receive you. Go into the streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Isn't that great? It'll, I say to you, it'd be more tolerable uh, on the day of Sodom than for that city. Um, basically, they're saying, you keep focused. If you go into a place and they receive you, great. Share with them. Stay. Do your work. Share the kingdom. Make disciples. Re- uh, reproduce disciples. But if you go someplace and they reject you, honor their uh, honor their um, boundaries. Don't push it. Don't try to manipulate. Just move on. And and if they're not preaching the house, preach in the streets. Satan in the streets, the kingdom of God is with you. But whether you're accepted or not accepted, you keep preaching. The kingdom of God has come nearer. And by the way, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom than that city. Um, So often in the Bible, in the New Testament, when Jesus is trying to find an example of the most sinful city in history, he thinks of Sodom or Sodom and Gomorrah. We should not forget that. Verse 13. Verse 13. Basically, it's and keep in mind that you're going to win no matter how people respond to you. You are on the winning team. Woe to you, Chorazan! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If you, I'd love to show you where Chorazan and Bethsaida are. If you'd go with us, if you want to go with us sometime to Israel. For if the miracles that have been performed in Tyre and Sidon had occurred in you, they were repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes—a sign of repentance. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, Capernaum was was Jesus' kind of hometown in Galilee when he was doing his mission there in Galilee, um, will not be exalted. You, Capernaum, will not be exalted in heaven, will you? No, you'll be brought down to Hades. You're going to be judged, Jesus says. See, again, don't take it personally. You're on the winning team. These cities are going to reject sometimes. But remember their judgment is going to be on them. You, you you don't get discouraged. Verse 16. The one who listens to you listens to me, but the one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The principle there is don't make it personal. You share the gospel, you share Jesus. And don't, it's not, people aren't rejecting you. If they reject you, they're rejecting Jesus. They're not accepting you if they accept Jesus. It's not about you and me at all. We got to keep it about Jesus. So often in conversations that I'm having with people, if it's a difficult confrontation, one of the things that I try to think of is, Lord, help me to handle this in a way so people are wrestling with you and not with me. If it's about my personality, I've gotten in the way. Lord, help me make it about your principles, about your truth, about your love and grace. And if people reject Jesus <coughs> because they reject the cross, so be it. But I don't want people to reject Jesus because of the way that I somehow have presented Jesus or somehow have um, uh, d- uh, represented Jesus in my life. How do you live in the gray zone? One more application I would make about the gray zone. Um, We all personally go through the gray zone. You know people who are going through the gray zone right now. Maybe they've experienced the death of a loved one. And there was an old era in their life of what life used to be. And they haven't come to that new era yet. And right now they're in the gray zone and it's kind of confusing and dark and chaotic? What does it mean to help them in the gray zone? Maybe you're going to go through the gray zone in some relationship, or maybe you're right now. I think it's so important to remember that God is at work in the gray zone. You be faithful. You have confidence in Him. You have confidence in the Bible. You have confidence that He's going to give victory. The gray zone is not reality. The gray zone is not the whole story. It's not the end of the story. Yeah, it's a current reality, but it's not the end of the story. The end of the story, maybe the next era is heaven. Maybe Jesus returns and he takes us home. Maybe the next era is a new birth of the influence of the kingdom in this world. Maybe it's God using you and your family and your children and your church In greater ways than you ever could have imagined whatever it is the harvest is plentiful the workers are few let's be faithful let's be faithful presenting the kingdom Heavenly Father thank you for your word and your promise your victory that is sure Help us to walk today in the gray zone faithfully, even if that gray zone lasts the rest of our life and we don't see what the next era is going to be. May we do our part in this generation to honor you, to bring your kingdom. Through Christ I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us. Keep praying for each other and pray for the church.